Well, good morning. All right, admit it now. How many of you are not real happy to be at church today because you wish you were at the beach for Labor Day? Anybody like that? Y'all are a bunch of liars. I know there's some of you sitting there right now thinking, if I had any extra money, I wouldn't be here this morning. I'll tell you that right now. But I am glad you're here no matter why you've shown up. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk together about some good stuff this morning. And uh, I just want to um, let you know one thing. We, uh, Donnie announced about the auditions for uh, folks up here in, in the band and uh, singers, that kind of thing. We really want you to do that. Want you to, we, we're convinced that there's probably some folks out there with uh, abilities to do some things that we don't even know about. And the only way we can find that out is if we do this kind of audition process. Now, and if you're saying, hey, Cliff, doesn't the Bible say make a joyful noise unto the Lord? It doesn't matter how good you can sing? Absolutely. And that's why Chris told you a while ago, we want you to shout it out from right there where you are. But that doesn't mean that you, that doesn't mean that you need to have a microphone and be amplified, okay? Some of you know that, you, that we don't want to all hear your voice over a microphone, but you need to shout it out out there in the seats, okay? So, but if, you, uh, if God has blessed you with some, some gifts and some talents and abilities in that area, we really want you to, to participate in that. Hey, we're going to uh, spend some time for today and next week talking about church, and we're going to just do a two-week, quick two-week series that we're calling DNA, and I'll tell you why we're doing that in a minute. But uh, today we're going to focus more on kind of what church is all about, where church has come from, because I think it's important to look back to the past. Next week... We're going to focus specifically on this church, and we're going to focus specifically on things that will keep us from becoming the church God wants us to be. So I'm just going to tell you right now, next week is not going to be for the faint of heart. So if you're thinking, I always want to come to church and I just want to leave happy, maybe next week you need to go to a different church. Not that, not that we're all going to be mad, but I'm going to, next week is going to be kind of like one of those conversations you have with your daddy where you know you need to have it, but the whole time he's talking to you, you're thinking, I wish he hadn't said that or whatever. That's kind of what next week's going to be about. So uh, there might be more of you here next week because maybe you like to be abused, I don't know. But next week is going to be that kind of way. But today we're going to talk about what, what, you know, this, what this thing is, is, is called church and, and where it came from. Now, one of the things that always amazes me since we've started Freedom and, and we plan message series and those kinds of things is that it amazes me how God always knows what's needed at the right time for this church as far as what is going to be taught. And I'll give you an example of that. We just finished up a series called Reboot. And the first week of that series, I don't know if you were here back in the first week of August, but we talked about the blue screen of death. We talked about the fact that sometimes our life crashes and that when that happens, God, a touch from God's hand can help take care of those things in our life. And we had planned that series of messages a long time ago, and I had no idea that that Sunday when we preached that message, there was someone here, first time ever at our church, that had just lost their parents, and they were here that first Sunday when we're talking about life crashing down. Now, obviously, I had no idea that that person was going to be here that Sunday. That's God being a lot smarter than I could ever be and saying, hey, preach this today, Cliff, because I've already got this thing arranged where this, uh, this kid's going to be there. You don't even know is going to be showing up. And example, for th this Sunday and next Sunday, we, uh, back at the beginning of the summer, Donnie and I were talking, and, and we already had the reboot series planned, and we're starting a different series week after next, and, and I said, you know what, we need to take a couple of weeks and just remind ourselves, all of us focus on what church is all about, 
and why we do what we're doing. I just think it's, it just it seems like this is the right time to do it. I felt like God was leading us to take two weeks out, a two-week break between one series and the next series to talk about church and what it's all about. And we've seen over the last three or four weeks, we've had a few different things pop up in the, in the life of the church that have just been, it's been a confirmation to me, this is what we need right now. We need to take two weeks out and just focus on who we are, what God's wanting to do here. So I'm glad you're here today. And, uh, and if, you, um, if you know folks that, that aren't here today that are planning on coming next week, encourage them to log on to the website, freedomfellowshipsc.com. Listen to this message today before they show up next Sunday. That would be a, a good thing for them to do. We're, ta- we're calling this series DNA, and I, I'm not a uh, scientist by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I called Jake uh, Ticknor uh, Friday to be, be sure I even knew what DNA really was. Um, because Jake is a lot smarter than me. And, um, <clears throat> so, but the, from the way I understand it, what DNA is, is DNA is our stuff that makes us up. It's what holds our bodies together, and it determines what we look like and who we are and all those kinds of things. And so one of the things about human DNA is you're stuck with what is in there. But what do we do as humans sometimes is we try to override that DNA with things like um, coloring our hair and plastic surgery. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but it just always is funny to me about especially women, they got some things they want to be bigger, you know, and then some things they want to be a lot smaller. And, and so we've got all this stuff that goes on with plastic surgery. And so what we do with DNA is, is we try to ignore it and we try to overcome it with these surgeries and these things that we have done and changing stuff. And, and I always pick on Sherry about, you know, how women are with their hair. It seems like if God gives them curly hair, it, they're going to go to the place and get it straightened out. And if God gave them straight hair, they're going to pay somebody 50 bucks a month to curl it up for them. It's just kind of the way it works out. And so, and church has DNA as well. God has specifically laid out in the scripture of what church is supposed to be about. But just like humans do, churches try to overcome the natural DNA that God has determined that a church should have by not focusing on what God wants us to focus about. And we want to make our churches into other things. And we want our churches to focus on other stuff. And we get so caught up in the little details and the nuts and bolts of things that don't even matter in this book. And pretty soon, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, someone that has, had, has tried to change their DNA too much. Somebody, you end up with someone like Joan Rivers or, or Michael Jackson. You, you remember so, that where you just look at them and you go, I don't know what that is, but that ain't natural right there, I can tell you. And that same thing happens to church. When we ignore what God has given us in the Bible about what the DNA of the church is supposed to be, and we try to create church into our own creation, what happens is people will look at it and say, I I don't know much about the Bible, but I don't think that's what a church is supposed to be like. I don't think those people are supposed to be acting that way. I don't think they're supposed to be getting upset over that issue or people dropping out and arguing over the color of the carpet or, you know, whatever it might be. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to go back to the past and I want us to look at where church came from. What, what, is this God's idea or is this something we came up with? What is the, the whole idea of church and, and where it began? And so to begin, we're going to go back to the past. And I mean way back in the past. We're going to go all the way back to 1440 B.C., 1440 B.C., there was a guy, maybe you've heard of him, his name was Moses. And Moses 
was the first person to write down the oral traditions that had been passed down. Remember in school, you would talk about folks, they had these oral traditions, these stories that were told, and this person would tell the story, they'd tell it to their kids, and then those kids would tell it to their own kids, and it would get passed down from generation to generation. That was the, the way things were in the world back before Moses showed up. And Moses one day, he said, I'm going to, and, th- and there's some scholars debate on this and stuff, but we believe that it was Moses. Moses began to write down these oral traditions. And so we have the story in Genesis of how the world began, the story of creation. Maybe you're familiar with that, where God said, let there be light, and, and there was nothing there, and God created everything by speaking it, to it exi- to, into existence. And so Moses began to write down the story. And so what we have as Moses wrote down the story is we see that God created everything in the world, and it was in this perfect state it was exactly how he wanted it and over and over in that creation story god would say these things are good these things are good these things are good everything he made that he looked around at it was all good and that's where that you know phrase came from it's all good it came from creation right there and so god made everything and it was created just so what you had is you had a lot of the same things you have today but in the garden of eden you didn't have sin so what you had is you had stuff today like you had food but you didn't have gluttony And you had wine, but you didn't have drunkenness. And you had sex, but you didn't have lust. And you had marriage, but you didn't have in-laws. And so you had all this great stuff. I'm just kidding. I love my in-laws. My in-laws are awesome. But I know some of y'all don't like your in-laws. But you had all this great stuff, and everything was perfect. It was in this perfect state, exactly the way God wanted it. And then what happened? Sin entered into the world, didn't it? And so sin comes into the world, and maybe you're familiar with that story with the, with the serpent and the fruit and Eve eating it and handing it to Adam, and he should have never let Eve eat it in the, in the beginning and all that kind of stuff. And so sin enters into the world, and then things begin to spiral out of control. And it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And then we get all the way to a man named Abram. You might know him as Abraham, but his, his name at first was Abram before God changed his name. And in Genesis chapter 12, God intervenes back into the world by talking to Abraham. And look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read this, what God said to Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Now listen to this part. And all peoples on earth, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here's the situation. God looks at the earth. Everything's out of control because of sin. And he says, I'm going to fix this situation. I'm going to get things back to the way they need to be. And he comes to Abraham and he says, listen, everything's out of control. I'm going to fix this problem and I'm going to do it through your kids. I'm going to do it through your line. That's how I'm going to do it. Abraham is like, God, great idea. I agree with you wholeheartedly. One big problem. I don't have any kids. And my wife is really, really old. And I love there's a verse of scripture in in Genesis where Sarah, Abraham's wife, finds out she's going to have a baby. And she actually says this in the scripture. She says, am I going to have this pleasure after I'm old and worn out? I think that's the funniest thing. That she looked at herself and said, I'm just wore out. Now I'm going to have a baby. And so... Abraham says, I, I don't have any kids. God says, don't worry, we're going to handle that. We're going to take care of that. So he gives him a child. Anybody know that child's name? You want to say it out loud if you know Sunday school people that have been to Sunday school? Isaac, that's right. Isaac was the child of the promise. 
And so Isaac is born and everything seems to be good. And then one day God shows up and talks to Abraham and says, hey, you know this kid I gave you, Isaac, I want you to kill him. And Abraham's like, God, you are weird. I don't understand you at all. Because you gave me this baby and now you want me to kill him now that he's a teenager. And so they go up the hill and all this kind of stuff and he's going to kill him. Of course, God stops him because he was never going to have him kill Isaac anyway. That was just the, the intention of that was just to point us to, to what God would do one day when he would sacrifice his only son named Jesus. And so instead of sacrificing Isaac, a ram shows up and they sacrifice the ram. And after all that happens, look at Genesis 22. At the end of this story about Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac but not having to, God once again makes it clear what his intentions are. Look at Genesis twenty-two fifteen. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. That's pretty cool. You know how some people swear to God? God just says, I swear to me because I am God. And by the way, you shouldn't swear to God. That's another place in the Bible you shouldn't do that. But God can do it because he's God. And so he says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, just like in John 3, 16, what does it say? God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. So once again, that whole instance was to point us to Jesus one day. That you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. <clears throat> Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. It's very clear through Scripture. It's extremely clear that God was doing something that was going to provide salvation. It was going to provide forgiveness of sin for everyone, for everybody in every corner of the earth, not just for Abraham and his kids, not just for the Jews. It's very clear that God's plan is to save the earth and not just Israel. And so that's what God had been doing since the beginning. When he, when he had the Garden of Eden, every, he had created this place, it was great. Sin came in and messed it up, so he says, we're going to fix this and we're going to do it through Abraham, but it's not going to be just for Abraham's kids, it's going to be for everyone. And that is the consistent message throughout the Old Testament. After Abraham left, you had a guy named Moses who's the one that wrote all these stories down. Moses came. There's a story in, in the a book of um, Deut or Exodus where Moses, God says to Moses, I want you to create a line of priests. Your brother Levi, Moses, he's going to be the father of all the priests. And it talks in there that what the priests are going to do is going to be for everyone, for all nations. After Moses, Joshua came along. And Joshua, after they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, Joshua sets up, up an a, a altar. They have worship and Joshua says what God's done today will be for all nations after Joshua you go into the book of Psalms and in Psalms everywhere in Psalms it talks about all nations will bow down this will be for all nations and then you get into the prophets people like Isaiah and other people and throughout there there's a consistent message that what God is doing is for everyone it's for all nations and then at the end of the Old Testament you have 400 years of silence scholars call this the intertestamental period it's the time between Malachi and Matthew. You're wondering what goes on during that. Nobody really knows. There's, no, there's not a lot that, that God was doing as far as speaking to people and telling them to write stuff down during that time. And then, what is the 400 years of silence broken by? It's broken by the birth of Jesus. Jesus comes into the world. 
And He has come to finish what God had started. He's coming to, to do what God told Abraham was going to happen. Through your kids, this whole thing's going to be made right. And Jesus was going to sacrifice His life, be crucified on a cross, be buried, be raised again, and that was going to be God's plan from the beginning. But even as Jesus, before He was sacrificed, even His teachings, He began to talk about how this is for everyone. That this is a plan that's for all people, not just for the nation of Israel. I want you to look at the book of John, verse 10, and you'll see that Jesus is preaching a worldwide message about who he has come for. John 10, verses 14. It says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. But look at this, verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. In other words, they're not Jews. They're not all of you standing around me right now. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is saying there, listen, I, when I die and I sacrifice myself, this is not going to be just for all of you good Jews that have been raised in the temple and the synagogue and all that kind of stuff. This is going to be for everyone. And there will no longer be Jew and Gentile and Greek and male and female and slave and free and all that kind of stuff. We're going to do away with all that. And all there will be will be those who follow me and those who do not follow me. And so Jesus was saying it would be one shepherd and one flock. No Greek or Jew or any of that kind of stuff. And then in the book of Matthew, the very final words of Jesus, he again, as he's getting ready to leave the earth, he again focuses on the worldwide message when he says the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And he says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and that I want you to go into all nations, all nations, baptizing everybody you come in contact with in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so then, after that, Jesus, he gives him this message, and you know what he does after that? He says, all right, I'm going back to heaven, guys. And he floats up into the sky, better trick than David Blaine has ever thought about doing. And everybody's standing there watching him. And so you know what the disciples do? Do you think the disciples then said, you know what, Jesus has told us what to do, let's go do it. No, they went and they went upstairs and locked the doors because they were scared. And they began to pray, which was a good thing. And, but Jesus had told them, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, on a day, a special Jewish celebration day called Pentecost, the Holy Spirit shows up. And here's what happens. This is an amazing thing. Peter begins to teach. Peter was Jesus' right-hand guy. And he begins to stand up and teach. And what had happened was Jews from all over the region, all different places that spoke different languages, were there at this one time because it was this Jewish celebration day. Peter begins to speak, and as he speaks, all the Jews hear Peter speaking in their dialect. Now, he's only speaking one voice, but let's say you're from uh, upper Greenville County and you speak some kind of dialect up there that we don't know nothing about, and then someone else is from Clinton or, some, or Clinton, like they say down there, and you speak a different dialect, and then there's a guy from, uh, from Spain who's there, and then there's another guy there from Canada, and he speaks that weird English you know, that says a boat and stuff like that. And then all of them, as Peter's speaking, they're all hearing it in a way they can understand it. And they're looking around each other saying, this is the weirdest thing. And then all of a sudden, they all begin to fall on their knees and accept Christ as their Savior. And the Scripture tells us that they baptized 3,000 people in one day. But here's the thing. They baptized 3,000 Jews, which is great. 
But the message had not yet spread the way Jesus had intended it to. 3,000 Jews, which was a great thing. And then we know after the 3,000 Jews were baptized, the message still begins to spread, spread, but it's mostly among Jews. Then you get to Acts chapter 10. You can read all this on your own. Acts chapter 10. There's a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman soldier in something that the Bible calls the Italian Regiment. We don't know what that is. I like to think it's like Italian special forces like Green Beret or Navy SEALs that this guy went out on special ops at night that he couldn't tell his wife about and all that kind of stuff. And so Cornelius is this bad dude. And, but God knew that Cornelius' heart was beginning to turn towards him. So God sends an angel to Cornelius. And this angel says, hey, Cornelius, I want you to go find a guy named Simon Peter. That's the same guy that hung out with Jesus that preached that message. I want you to go find him. Go to him and bring him to your house because he's got something to tell you. So Cornelius, he doesn't do his own dirty work because he's part of the Italian regiment. He sends some soldiers out, says, go get Peter, bring him back to me. Now, here's the cool thing. The next day, Peter has no idea that a guy's being sent from God to come pick him up. Peter has a vision from God himself. And he has this vision from God, and God parades all these animals out in front of him. And because Peter's a Jew, he's looking at these animals going, I can't eat that one, I can't eat that one, I can't, you know, pigs and stuff like that, I can't eat those. And then all of a sudden, God says to Peter, Peter, eat any of these things that you want to. Peter says, God, I can't eat that stuff that's unclean. You know I don't ever eat anything unclean. And God says, it's all clean because I made it. All of this is good because I made it. And then it wasn't too long after that vision. The folks from Cornelius show up, they get Peter, you need to come back to this guy named Cornelius. Peter says, all right, I'm going, but I'm taking some friends with me. And they go to Cornelius' house, and I love it in Acts chapter 10. When Peter shows up, he pretty much tells him, listen, I'm not supposed to be here because I'm a Jew and I'm better than all you. It's almost like what he says. He says, and you know that it's against the law for me to hang out with y'all. Not supposed to be talking to you, all that kind of stuff. But God has just shown me that everything is clean. God has just shown me that it's okay for me to be here. So what is it that you want to know? And they say, we want to know about Jesus. So Peter begins to teach. And as he begins to teach, once again, the Holy Spirit jumps all over those people. And Peter looks back at his buddies and he's like, hey, man, we need to do something about this. These guys need to be baptized. So they baptize them. No big deal, right? People always get baptized. This was a big deal then because he wasn't supposed to baptize non-Jews. He wasn't supposed to baptize folks that that were not raised in the synagogue like he was so peter goes back and then in acts chapter 15 you have the council of jerusalem which happened in 39 a.d and you can read this in acts chapter 15 and it's a funny story because it's the first tense moment in the church how many of you have ever how many of you grew up in church if you would raise your hand if you grew up in church how many of you sat through a business meeting where you thought i'm gonna go crazy if i have to listen to these people anymore I have sat through more tense business meetings in my life, because, and not because of me, hopefully, but because I was raised in church, and you just sit in a business meeting, and you think, what are these people arguing about? This was the first one of those moments in the history of the church, and here's what they were arguing about. Okay, Peter, you baptized Cornelius and his whole family. Were you allowed to do that or not? Now, God was already up to something big. God was already, he had said from the beginning of time, this message of salvation is for all nations, but they want to get together and vote on it. Yes, will we agree with God or not? And the funny thing is, as you read through it, they start to say, okay, 
cool, you baptized Cornelius, great. Now he needs to be circumcised. And Peter's like, dude, he's like 44 or something. We're not, you know, we're not going to do that. Hey, listen, and so Peter says, the new, the new sign of the covenant needs to be baptism, not circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart, not a circumcision of your physical body. And so he says, it's going to be baptism and not circumcision. So at the Council of Jerusalem in 39 AD, they say, okay, this is kind of a strange deal, but we agree. We agree with what God's doing. God is spread. We don't know why he's doing it, but he's spreading the message to, of, of salvation to people other than Jews, and we agree with it, and we're going to do it. And after that happened, that's when God really started to move throughout the world. After 39 AD, in 42 AD, the apostle, uh, I mean, uh, Mark goes to Egypt. In 49 AD, Paul takes the gospel to Turkey on one of his missionary journeys. In 51 AD, on another missionary journey, Paul takes the gospel to Greece. In 52 AD, the apostle Thomas, who is known as Doubting Thomas, he takes the gospel to India for the first time. In 174 AD, the first reported Christians are found in Austria. In 280 AD, the first rural churches in Italy are reported. Now this is an important thing, because up to this point, that Christianity and what God was doing was mostly something that was an urban thing. It was happening in the cities. But then in Italy, in 280, they first found it, hey, people, rednecks are accepting Christ out in the country, you know? So it was a new thing. 350 AD, there were 31 million believers, 31 million followers of Christ in the world by 350 AD. In 432 AD, Patrick takes the gospel to Ireland. And we celebrate this every year by getting smashed on green beer and pinching people. But, that's, but, it, but it really meant something else. Patrick took the gospel to Ireland. And then in 596 AD, Gregory the Great, of, he said, we're going to send missionaries back to England to reintroduce the gospel to England. And those missionaries settled in a place called Canterbury. And they baptized 10,000 people over the next two years. A huge revival broke out in England after this. In 635 A.D., the first missionaries take the gospel to China. In 740 A.D., Irish monks take the message of Jesus to Iceland. In 900 A.D., we find out about the first churches that were begun in Norway. In 1200 A.D., the Bible is translated into 22 different languages by 1200 A.D. In 1498, the first believers are found in Kenya, in Africa. In 1554 A.D., there were 1,500 believers in Thailand that they just discovered. In 16, excuse me, in 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention gets together and they organize their mission efforts. And then in 1885, a small group of people leave a little church called Chick Springs Baptist Church over in the Taylors area, and they decide they're going to start a church over in Greer, and they're going to name that church Fairview Baptist Church. In 1904, Appalachian Baptist Church, which is located right up here up the road, that church begins. In 1976, a group of people decide we need to start a church to reach the growing area near the new Riverside High School. And Riverside Baptist Church begins in 1976. In 1995, a group of people leave Mount Lebanon Baptist Church because they know that there's a need in this area for a church that will reach folks that aren't going to church anywhere. And Springwell Church has begun in 1995. In 2003, a few families from Taylor's First Baptist Church leave to, to try to reach the folks moving into Blue Ridge Plantation and Ridgeview Baptist Church is born. In 2004, a career youth minister who said he would never pastor a church and he didn't even like pastors, he leaves his youth ministry position at Fairview Baptist Church and Freedom Fellowship is born. And then in 2005, Dustin Willis and a group of 
of uh, recent college graduates moved from the Anderson area to Columbia to start a church to try to reach all of the folks on the University of South Carolina campus, and Midtown Fellowship is born. And I could go on and on and on and on. You see, what God has been doing since the beginning of the world is still continuing today. And what I've given you is just a cursory, a, a very broad look at what God is doing since the beginning. And it all goes, everything that's going on, it all goes exactly back to what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. It goes exactly back to what God said in the Psalms. It goes back to what God said through the prophets. It goes exactly back to what Jesus taught and what Paul taught. It is what God is doing in the world. And everything, everything that goes on exists for one reason, and that is to promote and to push the message of Jesus Christ. We get so upset over politics and who got elected and who didn't get elected and who's made a judge and who's winning this war and who's winning that war. And if you will read the entire book of Scripture instead of just pulling out the verses we want, if you'll read through the Old Testament, you'll read through the New Testament, you will see that God uses nations for His glory. He doesn't lift up a nation so that we can be made great. He uses nations for His glory and He takes down nations for His glory. And why does He do it? He does it all because His message, the Gospel, that He's trying to save folks from our sin, that He sent His Son Jesus to die for us, that is what is most important. And that's what He's been doing since the beginning of time. And so what we do here on a Sunday morning is part of a much bigger plan. And so here's what you need to ask yourself. Are you going to get in on it? Are you going to get in on what God's doing? This is what He's doing. And we are a part, like I said just a second ago, we are a, a, a small part of this gigantic thing that God's been doing since the beginning of time. And that's why freedom exists. Freedom doesn't exist just so that we can hang out with each other and feel good about ourselves when we hand out candy at Halloween Hoopla. Or it doesn't exist so that I can stand up here and preach to you in flip-flops on Sunday morning. Or that we can have a band that sounds pretty cool and all that kind of stuff. It exists because we have a job to do. And the job is to tell everyone in the area that God's placed us in, we get to tell everyone in Greenville County and Spartanburg County and the whole of the upstate that Jesus died for them. And it's only through Him that their sin can be forgiven. And it's only through Him that they can find that peace that God created the world in back in creation, back in the, in the Garden of Eden. One of the things when we were, I was planning this message that I thought, um, thought I wanted to spend a lot of time on, and then as I, as I kept praying through it and reading, I thought, we're not going to do that, is I thought, we're going to spend a lot of time on the mission, and, 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 and we need to focus on the mission. But here's the thing. I don't have to stand up and say, hey, here's why our mission is the way it is. Because Matthew 28, Jesus gave us the mission. When he said, go into all the world and baptize all nations in the name of Jesus, make disciples of all nations, and, uh, and, that's, and, I've get, and, I, and he said, I have the authority to do this. That's the mission of every church. And so if a church gets together and says, hey, we need to figure out what our mission is, and it's anything different than what Matthew 28 says, then they're no longer a church. And we will cease to be a church if we get so focused on things other than Matthew 28. If we begin to get focused on what we like and what we want to hear and what we think we should do, instead of focusing on the fact that Matthew 28 go into all the ends of the earth 
and telling people about Jesus Christ, starting right here in your backyard and then making circles out until we get to every end of the earth, that if we do anything else but that, then, then we've lost our focus. And so when we say that our mission is helping people discover the true freedom only Christ can give, that's just our way of saying Matthew 28. It's just our way of saying this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to tell people about who Jesus Christ is. That's what churches do. So the question that I get from time to time, folks will say, hey, how big do you want freedom to get? Are you trying to build a mega church? You know? Here's my answer. Get ready. If you, so if you ever ask me this, you, this is the answer I'm always going to give you. How big do you want freedom to get? Bigger. Now here's why. Because there, I know for a fact there are more people outside these walls that don't know Jesus than do know Jesus. Now when I start saying we're big enough, that means when we can go out here and everybody knows Christ. It went, once everybody in Greenville and Spartanburg County is saved, then we can say, hey, we don't have to get any bigger. We're done. Let's eat homemade ice cream and pat each other on the back. You know, whatever we're going to do. But until everybody knows Jesus, I want this church to get bigger. Not so I can be proud of myself. Not so that I can look out and see more people in this place. But because of the fact that when people die without Jesus, they go to a real place called hell. And they really suffer for the rest of eternity. And there's no way they can get out of it. And because of that, we have got to be obsessed with the idea of this church becoming bigger and bigger and bigger because we want to see everybody out there in here praising Jesus, having accepted him, being baptized. That's what we need to see happen. And so when we talk about what is our DNA and what are we going to do, that's what it all boils down to. And it's not something we've made up, but it's what God began in Genesis 12 when he went to Abraham. And he said, I'm going to do something big through you. I'm going to, I'm going to send my son and he's going to come through your line. And he's going to make all this right. I want to just confess something to you now. Normally when I prepare a message, I know exactly how I'm going to conclude it. I had no conclusion for today's message. I don't have a poem to tie this up with. I don't have a nice story to tell you or a joke to end with. Because I don't know how to end it just to the, other than to say, that's what I want us to be. That's what I want us to become. And I want you to get in on it. I want you to say, I want to come along with that. That's what I believe in too. And so what I want us to do right now is I want you all to stand up. I know I'm making you stand before the musicians get up here. I want you to look around right now. Don't talk to anybody, but just look around. You, I, want you to, I want you to even turn all the way around if you want to. Just look around this building. It's a nice room, isn't it? Everything's good. Y'all can see back there where Ted makes all the magic happen on the board. Now, am I the only one here that sees some vacant seats? I see some vacant seats. Ask yourself this question. Who do I know that needs Jesus? Do you know five people that need Jesus? Do you know ten people that need Jesus? Do you know a hundred people that need Jesus? If we know people that need Jesus, then let's let that motivate us this week as we leave here to go talk to them, to go tell them about what God's doing in our life. Not so we can build a great church, but so that we can be a part of what God has been doing since Genesis chapter 12. Let's pray.
Father God, I'm thankful that you are at work in the world. And God, I'm so thankful that you let us be a part of it. Because God, I know that you are big enough that you could start a bunch of churches on your own and not even use us. But I'm humbled by the fact that you've called the folks in this room here to begin this church and to worship you here and to tell our community. Give us the strength, the boldness, and the patience to tell our friends about Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.